this weekend and this morning in particular, it seems like the weather is hinting at the fact that things are moving on from, from fall and that winter will quickly be on its way. And that's always kind of a last-minute reminder that if we put off any of the things on our list, sort of our, our fall projects list, that you've got to do them now or you're going to run out of time. One of the, the items on our checklist every fall is to visit one of the orchards in the area and to gather up a supply of apples. I know many of you are, uh, are familiar with that practice. We get you know, a big bag full of apples to make applesauce or to put into pies uh, or just to eat through the fall months. And Vermont is uniquely, you know, uh, among many of the states in the U.S., blessed with an abundance of fruitful orchards. Our practice is usually to go over to Chapin's uh, in, in Essex, center, or sometimes we'll go down to Shelburne Orchards, and, and there the, the trees are so fruitful, so productive that you can actually go in and just pay a, a reduced price to pick up all the apples that have fallen to the ground. Despite all the, the crowds that come in every week to pick, there's more, more fruitfulness from those trees than, than they can even kind of harness or harvest. But of course, the, the trees at those orchards have been steadily looked after. Right? They've been pruned back, they've been cultivated and cared for by an orchardist for usually 20, 30, maybe even 40 years by the time they reach that kind of fruitfulness. And I can't help, after we visit one of those orchards, to, to compare those trees with the trees growing in our front yard. Four years ago when we bought our house, we decided we liked the idea of having some apple trees on the edge of the property. So we went out and bought a few, a few startups. I think they were probably two or three years old at the time. And they've been growing for almost four years in our yard. But if you, if you look at those trees, one of the trees has just started to grow a few apples. This year I think we picked you know, maybe five or ten apples that were edible from the good tree. There's another tree that grows some fruit, but usually it's kind of uh, eaten up by insects before we ever get to it. And then there's the third tree right in the middle, and after four years of growth, it's yet to bear a single piece of fruit, even, even a tiny piece of fruit on the tree. And I could, I could complain about the harvest we're getting, but if I'm honest, the trees haven't exactly had much help. When we, when we moved into the house, we were excited about the idea of having apples every fall. But since we planted them, we've taken a sort of Pete's philosophy with one of these plants, a set-it-and-forget-it approach to apple growing, which means I haven't put a real high value on growing apples. I like the idea more than the practice. So we move into our, our third core value today, the idea of, of growing. I want to I consider how it is we value growing in this other dimension, right? Not growing physical fruits, but growing fruits of a spiritual variety. How do we grow with the Spirit? Already this month, we've, we've said at JCC, we, we've got these core values that we want to anchor us, and, and the first of those is that we belong to a spiritual family. 
family that God defines, a family that God creates, a family that God draws together and, and causes to belong in him. We've also said that we value following, specifically following Jesus into the, the active practices and, and obediences of discipleship. We want him to take us where he desires to go. Today, we want to express how it is we value the Spirit's help in growing spiritual fruit in our lives. And as we've thought about this this discovery team that we brought together back in the spring and over the summer and the first part of the fall, this is how we've attempted to value growth, what it means to value growth. So we value growing through the Holy Spirit toward fruitful maturity. And if, if you want, if you brought your journals along, this might be worth copying down just so you can come back to and think about what it is we're, we're valuing here. We value growing through the Holy Spirit toward fruitful maturity. And we believe that spiritual growth invites our cooperation with the Spirit to bring ongoing transformation, ongoing healing, ongoing reconciliation, and ongoing sanctification in us. We think about that, that definition of growth or how we value growth. I think the leading question, as was the case with the other two values, is, is do we value that enough to do something about it? Do we value it in such a way that, that it evokes commitment from us and investment from us together? In thinking about where we see growth in the Word of God, in the Scriptures, I found myself drawn to Luke's account of, of Jesus and the Spirit. And I think Luke's Gospel in particular expresses this beautiful partnership between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And that's a partnership that I believe we are also invited into. It's a partnership that we we have to be invited into if we're going to become these fruitful, maturing kind of disciples expressed in this value. So if you would turn with me in your your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14 this morning. Let me pray for us as we look at God's word to us together. Lord, we are grateful that you are a God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. And you reveal who you are to us in three persons that are deeply one. Lord, we depend upon you as a triune God to grow, to follow, and to belong. Lord, we believe you have given us your your one word in the Holy Scriptures, Holy Bible. And Lord, we ask that as I teach this morning, as all of us hear and respond to these words, may we be pleasing in your sight. We offer these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is Luke 4. This comes uh, just after the end of Luke 3, where Jesus 
uh, goes into the waters of baptism. Jesus is taken from that moment into the, the wilderness for a time of testing. And then we, we hear the report here in verse 14 as he comes back to the Galilee. Luke 4.14, then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read the scriptures. Whenever we come to the Gospels, I think our, our usual instinct is to pay attention to what Jesus is up to in whatever passage we're reading. And rightly so. The, the Gospels focus, their primary intention is, is to reveal to us the, the acts of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom he's bringing. But sometimes when we only read the Gospels with that lens, we miss how deeply present the Holy Spirit is with Jesus, working alongside Jesus. And Luke in particular, I think out of the four evangelists, has a particular interest in, in reminding us that, hey, the Spirit is working here too. The Holy Spirit shows up all over the place in Luke's Gospel. We see the Holy Spirit show up nearly 20 different times in the Gospel of Luke. And then if we sort of went and, and looked at the, the book of Acts, which is a continuation of Luke's Gospel, the Holy Spirit kind of becomes the, the predominant character there, right? There are, there are 50, nearly 50 appearances of the Spirit in the book of Acts. But if we want to pay particular attention to the, the beginning of Luke, we see the Holy Spirit present at the birth of Jesus, even the conception of Jesus, right? The Holy Spirit is integral in, in bringing the incarnation in, into existence. We see the Holy Spirit is involved in an, in an important and critical way at the baptism of Jesus, right? The Spirit falls upon Jesus, anoints Jesus, rests upon Jesus. And then just before this, at the beginning of Luke chapter 4, the, the Spirit is leading Jesus, assisting Jesus, coming alongside Jesus in his time of testing in the wilderness. And now here in verse 14, we're told that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit's power as he comes back to the Galilee to teach. And so the, the point of all that is, is to help us remember, to help us to see clearly that in the, the life of Jesus, Jesus and the Spirit are partners with one another in growth, in mission, in kingdom work. As Jesus matures and grows through each new stage of his, his human embodiment and incarnation, he does so in, in this beautiful partnership with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit empowers and guides and, and supplies encouragement throughout. And so if, if Jesus in the Holy Spirit, if Jesus partners with the Holy Spirit in this deep and profound way, it stands to reason that if we are going to be followers of Jesus, 
that we also need to understand what that partnership looks like in our lives. We also need the power of the Spirit to, to fill us and grow us and work in us. So let me ask you, how aware are you of the Spirit's work, the Spirit's partnership in your day-to-day -day life? In the course of, of a day, in the course of a given week, do you regularly experience the Spirit prompting you, speaking to you, or, or revealing Scripture to you, or convicting you in a particular way? For us to, to grow up into maturity, we need to understand what partnership with the Spirit means. And to help us understand what it is the Spirit desires to do, we need to keep reading further into this passage. So we've, we've heard that Jesus has been led by the Spirit throughout the, the villages of Galilee to preach powerfully and, and impressively and with authority, and, and the people of the Galilee were amazed at Jesus' teaching. But now the Spirit brings Jesus back to Nazareth back to his hometown synagogue where Jesus stands up and begins to, to read the scripture on, on a given Sabbath morning. Verse 17, it says, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to Jesus. And Jesus unrolled the scroll and he found the place where this was written. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. There's the Spirit, yet again, working with Jesus, coming upon Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Try to, try to envision this, this moment in the synagogue there in Nazareth. Jesus stands up as someone who's known by the people in, in that village, right? They've, they've known Jesus from boyhood. He stands up and he selects a reading from the scroll. The, the scroll is selected for him. They hand him the scroll of Isaiah. But it seems as though Jesus himself locates this passage, these verses in particular, drawn primarily from Isaiah 61. And they're verses about someone God's spirit will come upon. And Isaiah says, in, in partnership with God's spirit, this person will do incredible things. In partnership with the Spirit, Isaiah says, this person will bring good news to those who have no, no good news, those who are impoverished, those who, who lack. Isaiah says, this person will bring a release from captivity, both to those captive in, in servitude, in exile, in bondage, but also those captive to the bondage of, of sin and debt. This person 
will give sight to those who are blind, who are unable to see. And this person will inaugurate a season of jubilee. They will bring a time where God's abundance and, and favor overflow on his people. And in Isaiah's context, when this is written, you know, roughly 600 years prior to, to Jesus, it's written to a people who are broken, people who are in exile, people who have little hope. And it was a, a prophecy or a promise that communicated Israel's deepest longings, that one day God would bring things back heal things back, grow things back together. Isaiah says that the Spirit of the Lord longs to do these things, to bring this kind of healing and restoration. I was talking with with Pete this week just about about how it is that that we respond or, or hear the gospel in our current context. And we were reflecting that, that it seems as though few of us today need to be convinced that our world is full of broken pieces. And we, we don't need someone to convince us, whether it's, it's through the news or through our families or through our own bodies, that things aren't the way they're meant to be. Right? I, I don't know too many people that would insist that, that everything's good, everything's fine. I think more often than not, we know at a deep place we're broken. What I think more often we struggle with is having faith that somehow healing is possible. Having faith that somehow all the pieces that don't fit have a way to come back together. I think what most of us wonder is can what's wilted and looks nearly dead, can it ever bear fruit again. There's a a deep existential question in most of us. Do we have faith that that's possible? But these words of Isaiah proclaim that the Spirit has promised to do these things. The Spirit has chosen and empowered someone to do these things healing and growing and putting back together sorts of things. The Spirit has selected someone to be a restorer, Isaiah says, a liberator, a healer, an opener of blind eyes. And so after reading this incredible promise of the Spirit, look at what Jesus does in verse 20. It says, Jesus rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. Meaning he sat down in the place of teaching in the synagogue. And all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And then he began to speak to them, saying, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. 
with every eye in that room, it says, fixed on Jesus. Jesus carefully puts the promise away, puts the scroll back. He moves into the place of authority and teaching. And he, he opens his mouth to, to, to begin to unpack this promise about the Spirit and the, the one that the Spirit would anoint someday. And then he says this. He says, those promises are fulfilled now. Those promises are fulfilled this day. If they had, you know, the mic drop in ancient Israel, pretty sure there would have been one right here. Because there's an immediacy to Jesus' words here. He says, this day the Spirit's work of growing and restoring all things has started. Right? This day the one who can put you back together is here. Jesus says, this day what will you do with my words? There's an immediacy there's a, there's a challenge here from Jesus. And I think going back to this idea of a partnership, of partnering with Jesus and the Spirit, we have a choice what we do with Jesus' words here in Luke 4. One option is to be troubled by Jesus' words. Troubled by their boldness. Troubled by the directness of Jesus' promise. And that's, in large measure, the choice, the option that the people of Nazareth select. I'm not going to read the, the following verses from here to the end of the chapter, but we see, starting in verse 23, that though there's an initial amazement and an awe at what Jesus has just said, in large measure, they don't know what to do with that promise, with that proclamation. Jesus has just proclaimed that, that his gospel of good news has power to grow in and through him new life in the broken, in the oppressed, to bring sight to the blind, to bring favor not just to Israel, but, but to Israel's neighbors and Israel's enemies. That's what Jesus goes on to say in those following verses. But Jesus cannot make fruit. He cannot make life grow in those who won't accept his words. And so in large measure, in verses 20, 24 through 30, the defenses come up among the people of Nazareth. They take offense to Jesus' proclamation. And instead of partnering with Jesus with the one the Spirit has anointed to do this work, they very nearly drive Jesus off a cliff. They drive him out of town. They seek to take his life. How do you explain that kind of response? Isn't this just good news? Why wouldn't they celebrate Jesus' proclamation? Well, N.T. Wright in his, his comment on this passage, says this. He says, sometimes the message of the Spirit through Jesus is one we're not ready to hear. 
writes as, quote, Jesus is saying and doing new things which do not simply underwrite the expectations of God's people. Jesus is doing and saying things that actually challenge them at the core. Something different is going on here. God is doing a new thing. And you are not automatically able to say, oh good, we've been waiting for this all along and now it's here at last, isn't that fine? Right? N.T. Wright says, we cannot, Jesus will not allow us to domesticate the things the Spirit has anointed him to do. Spiritual growth doesn't come according to our expectations. Spiritual growth doesn't happen on our terms. Jesus, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, gets to define what that looks like. So if option one is offense and defense in driving Jesus out off the cliff, domesticating his message so that it fits what we like, if, that, if that's clearly not a good option on the table, what option's left to us? Well, I think the, the option that, that stands remaining is to read ourselves into this passage. It's to confess that we are the poor in need of gospel. We are the, the captive in need of release. That we are the blind who needs our eyes opened. That we are the, the oppressed who need to hear the Lord's jubilee in favor for all people. The option that, that's left is to ask the Holy Spirit in partnership with Jesus to put us back together transform and to heal and to reconcile and to sanctify us in the deepest places so that in the place of death we might be joined to the life and spirit of God so here's what I'd like to, to do this morning here's where I'd like to leave things today in just a minute I'm, I'm going to read again those words of Jesus that he proclaims in the synagogue. The words that Jesus says come into fulfillment through him. And as you hear those words, I just invite you to close your eyes and to listen. And I want you to ask the Spirit, is there one image, is there one place, is there one dimension of your life where you feel the Spirit wants to bring new life? wants to partner with you for growth. Where have you been stuck? Where are you dead inside? Or discouraged in your walk with Jesus? Maybe there's an area of blindness within you. And you need God to open your eyes in a fresh way. Where is the Holy Spirit longing to grow you toward wholeness? Let me read those words of Jesus. Jesus said, Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring 
good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. What is it that the Spirit would speak to you, would desire to grow in you, to heal in you, starting today? And make a, make a note to yourself somewhere if, if you're, you know, a particular place has come to mind. And the question is, are you willing to partner with the Spirit in that work? And if that's a partnership you desire to enter into, a practice that you desire to follow up in, We've, we've come up with a, a very simple way to, to sort of encourage that practice over the next few weeks. There are um, several of these. I think there are 50 of these pots just outside the exit here. And there are bags of seeds. These are actually um, microgreens that you can plant. And there's, if you have soil at home, great. If not, there's a bag of soil there you can pour a little in before you leave. And, and let me challenge you. Don't just pick up a pot because you, you want to grow some plants at home. Pick up a pot if you're, if you're serious about using this as a spiritual practice these next few weeks. And here's how I would have you do that. Take that, that pot and that soil and those seeds home, and as you plant them, pray specifically about that one place you need the Spirit's help to grow, to bring growth in you. Maybe as you're planting that seed in that soil, you pray, Lord, Grow my relationship with my spouse in the place that needs healing right now. Maybe you pray, Lord, grow my ability to, to trust you with, with the future or with a specific decision. Maybe you pray, Lord, grow and heal me from a, a destructive desire. Something I keep doing that I know is, is choking out your life in me. Whatever that prayer is then, as you come back and you have to cultivate this plant, right? These, these seeds need to be kept moist every, every two days, basically. The instructions are, are mist them or spray them or water them gently. and Keep them in a, in a warm place in your, in your house. And as you come back to care for them and water them and take care of those seeds, make that a habit where you also pray, Lord, you pray that same prayer, Lord, grow this, this new work in me. Spirit, partner with me so that you bring restoration, you bring sanctification, you bring reconciliation in my life. Maybe the Spirit speaks to you in those little prayers. Maybe points you to a passage of Scripture to reflect on. Maybe he challenges you to take some next step of obedience. I look forward to hearing about how how that growing and cultivating process takes place over the next few weeks.